Hey there, welcome to Bandits Keep. This is Daniel. Um, in this episode, it's going to be uh, kind of, it's not really a response episode, just uh, got me thinking after listening to Rob over at Down in the Heap about things that he would, you know, maybe doesn't love about old school D&D that he wants to kind of uh, adjust for his uh, homebrew game. And it made me think about how in the chainmail with Swords and Sorcery hack, I am not using, let's say, ability scores and some of those other things, whereas in the OD&D with chainmail straight up hack, I am, and why. So this is me thinking out loud about that. And then also we've got some uh, calls from Joe Richter over at Hindsightless and Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Okay, so I was listening to um, Rob's latest episode over in Down in a Heap about uh, you know things that he doesn't necessarily like about the D&D, the old D&D systems, and what he's going to try to change for his own uh, you know game system that he's working on. And one of the things that he mentioned, and I've actually had a back and forth with Jason about this too, I believe, was the idea that why do we have 3 to 18 ability scores if they're really not used for anything except for giving you a stat? So, I mean, and I know that <laughs> I know that what I say here is going to be a lot of house rule stuff, so I know it's not officially in the game, so maybe that's no explanation or, you know, debate at all. But um, I will say that, like, for instance, in the... Uh, Module B1, the and this is a, a thing I use a lot, actually. Um, they have very specifically in like porcoluses and things like that where they talk about a total number of strength points it requires to lift things. Obviously, uh, in the basic book of uh, you know BX, it talks about rolling under your stats. So, of course, that's all known stuff. But I'm not going to talk about that. I think that I want to talk about it in relationship to the two different games that I'm kind of working on simultaneously. The game that I originally started working on when I started this podcast, which is combining original Dungeons and Dragons with Chainmail. So this is a, I guess it, it'll be, you know, it's not sword and sorcery because I'm going to talk about that in a second, but it's definitely maybe in my mind anyways, a lower magic, uh, more of a more raw kind of system than, let's say, you know, your modern D&D, your 5th editions, or your Pathfinders, stuff like that. You know, no cantrips, no, you know, tons of people casting spells everywhere. At least that's going to be implied, and, and I think you can imply a setting in the rules. So that's a whole other thing. But Maybe that's another podcast. But I've got that, right? And I'm also working on, also using the Chainmail Combat System, working on the Sword and Sorcery hack. And in, in that one, there's no stats at all. None at all. So what the heck? Why do I have stats that are randomly generated and from 3 to 18 in one and then stats, no stats at all in the other? And why would I make that decision? Why do I think that's a good idea? What the heck is Daniel doing? So let me see if I can <laughs> open my mind and uh, let out through my, uh, through my vocal cords here my reasoning. So let's start with the... 3 to 18, because I think that's actually uh, more the most relevant part here. So why 3 to 18 rolling randomly and then all that really does, let's just assume that, all that really does is give you modifiers. Well, of course, in my situation, that's not what it does. Um, it, you know, you, in fact, most stats don't have any modifiers. So, <laughs> you know, it, it really would be used for other things like combined strength to lift things, rolling under, stuff like that. So I don't really have just that lockdown, but let's even approach it from the idea that it would just give you um, bonuses, 
let's say if you were going to use that in, let's say, let's look at basic expert Dungeons and Dragons. Let's not look at uh, my, my hack. Okay, what are we doing here? Well, if I say to you, hey, we're going to get rid of the stat numbers and I'm going to give you X number of points to put into your stats where you want and that will be your bonus. If we look at that and we say, okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to create a system where the players are building, right, I'm using the word build, building their characters, which to me is not the heart of the adventure game. The adventure game, the early adventure games like BX, they're really about this kind of randomness and either deciding to take what you rolled and maximize yourself by playing the class that's closest to that or playing a class that you really want to play even if it doesn't have the best scores for it. You've got that choice. And when you allow people to just put the points where they will, what you're going to end up with, and I talked about this a few uh, podcasts back with the smart fighter one, you're going to end up with every fighter is going to have a high strength or a high dex. Actually, probably every fighter will have a high dex and everybody will just use a bow. But anyways, every fighter will have a high strength. You know, every magic user will have a high intelligence. Every cleric will have high wisdom. Next thing you know, we are creating a system where everybody is the same. And that might be fine, I guess. But again, you, you're playing the same kind of games that you're playing if you play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. You're, you're changing that old school game, that, that, that kind of randomness, uh, make a choice game into I'm going to build my character. And again, this is fine. I mean, if you like that kind of thing, that's what you're. That's fine. But that is what you're doing. I mean, there's there's no question in my mind that that's it. Now, why three to eighteen? What the heck does that even mean? Remember, bell curves. That's kind of the point, right? That when you roll your characters, you should get a character that is pretty much always going to have average scores and maybe have something higher, maybe something lower, occasionally something really high. And that makes those characters that you get lucky on the rolls special or especially bad because your rolls are terrible, right? This creates, again, more unique special characters because now everybody's not, okay, you get a plus, you know, four total, you can spread out wherever you want. Now you might have somebody with no bonuses. You might have somebody with a total bonus of, you know, plus eight because they rolled really well. You might have somebody with penalties. You're getting a variety in your in your uh, uh, your characters, whether it's people picking their their class or not, right? That's whatever it is. So this is why I enjoy the three to eighteen range. Besides the fact that I can forget now rolling back to BX, forget about BX for a second, going back to OD and D, where the the modifiers don't actually matter that much. Now we're actually looking at a situation where the number means something role play wise. It gives you some something to work with as far as role-playing. So then why the heck do I not have stats in the Chainmill Heroic uh, game, the Sword and Sorcery game? Because in that game, while there will be differences in, in the characters based on what they write for their backstories, everybody in that game is a hero. There's no average Joe. There's no oh below average. There's no just slightly above average. Everybody is a hero. You know, we often talk about, or people talk about the idea that, like, Conan, you're playing Conan. In that game, you are playing Conan, right? So this would be the equivalent of, if you were doing a build-type game, giving somebody 
bonuses in like every step, basically. Enough points to do that, that is. So at that point, when everybody's kind of a, a hero, then you don't need to, to roll because the averaging and stuff doesn't matter. You don't want that average. You don't want that below average. What you want is everybody to be heroic, so you just make them that way. So every character is a hero. And when it comes down to determining if things succeed or not, that's just based on your story, right? Because that's a much more narrative game. It's less, less of a random game. It's not, a, it's not as much about exploration and the randomness of what you can find in the dice helping you tell a story. This becomes much more the referee and players working together to create interesting stories together about their hero. Of course, there's dice involved, primarily in combat, but also in, you know, in some task resolution, as I've talked about. But you at that point, in a way, it's almost equivalent to the idea of, of giving you X number of bonus points, right? If I were to use stats in the chainmail game, I probably would just do bonus. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with uh, having a range because you wouldn't need it. In that game, everybody's a hero. So that's kind of my reasoning as to why 3 to 18 or why roll versus why not, depending on the two systems, which, you know, are very similar. So, in fact, it's funny, I was thinking that uh, one of the goals for me, which I don't know if I'll succeed or not, is to make the games uh, to be able to be um, compatible, like cross-compatible on some level, because they're using the same combat system, right? So... What I was thinking was that, right, if you took one of your characters from the Chainmail game, the Chainmail Sword and Sorcerer game, and you inserted them into like an OD&D world, you, you got on a ship and you ended up in Atlantis or whatever, you could then, um, did they just be fourth level fighting men, right? They'd be fourth level fighters because they're heroes. And then they could gain experience points and they could do whatever. And what's interesting here is if you did that, you'd need to roll stats. But now I'm thinking to myself that, you know, as I'm walking through this, that if, if you do send a character into this other world, you're going to have to build them, if you will, based on, I'm probably going to do a point-by system because you uh, you can't be this hero in your world in the sword and sorcery game and then show up there and then roll terribly, <laughs> right? That would not make any sense. So there we go. Building a character versus rolling and uh, letting the character kind of come naturally and being, you know, having variety in your different characters. That That's really the reason that I have for wanting that. Now, again, 3 to 18 is just the range that I'm using because that's D&D. It could be percentile. I mean, there's lots of different ways to roll stats. I'm not saying it has to be that way, but the, it, it's essentially the difference of building a character versus rolling a character. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Um, I will put a link to uh, Rob's uh, down in the heap in the show notes if I can figure out how to do it. I've been getting better at that. So <laughs> otherwise, uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Yo, dude, just getting caught up on your podcast, so here we go, man. <laughs> right now, in your most recent episode, you're talking to John about role-playing, and you're talking about how if you have an NPC grab somebody in combat and hold a knife up to their neck, and the NPC's like, let me go or they die. Yeah, dude, I totally think that's role-playing. I don't, I don't know what else that would be. And then in uh, Initiative Enthuse, awesome episode, by the way, you and Jason are talking about alignment languages, uh, and Jason's kind of talking about the Sith and you're sort of talking about Lord of the Rings. To me, Lord of the Rings has always been good versus evil rather than law versus chaos. And I've always understood that law isn't act doesn't necessarily equal good and chaos doesn't necessarily equal evil. So I don't know where are you at on that is law and chaos the same as good and evil or are they different? Anyway, man, I'm curious to hear what you think. Peace out. 
Well, I think that's a really good question about the lawful and chaotic uh, being good and evil. And I, I wonder, I mean, I think that like, if you were to look at it uh, kind of as an overview and you think of what, I think what generally people think of as good would probably fall under the lawful uh, and what people generally think of as evil would fall under the chaotic. Um, not that everybody who, let's say, doesn't want society, let's say, is, so maybe they're chaotic, is, um, no, you know what, I think probably, you know, I'm, I'm kind of working through my head. I think that the people, because now I'm thinking of the idea of like society versus wilderness, right? If you have like a, a, a group of people that are living like out in the desert and they've got their own little thing going on with their village, they might not want you to come out there and, and show, you know, bring uh, caravans through and this and that. They're, they're very content the way they are. Um, and if you tried to take their land, they might fight and defend it. And those people certainly are chaotic for that reason. Um, I feel like the forces of chaos are very specifically um, aggressive, you know, as are the forces of law, like th those forces are banging up against each other. And neutral is kind of the people that are kind of like, hey, whatever, you know. <laughs> so I think that um, in the battle between law and chaos, you can't trust a neutral, <laughs> you know, because you don't know where they might go. But in general life, probably your average farmer is probably neutral because they're not really involved in that law. Uh, law versus chaos fight. So is law good? Well, it often promotes what most people would consider good, but not everybody would consider good. And is chaos evil? Well, it mostly promotes what, what a lot of people would think of as evil, but not everyone, you know? You might be sitting on the outside saying, yeah, I don't want them to, to, to build a city here, so uh, good, let the chaotic people crush them. But, you know, is the chaotic people crushing the caravan routes that are going across your land that you're not happy about, but now it's causing all these people that have settled over there to starve because they can't get food. Is that a good thing? I mean, you know, that's, that's where philosophy comes in, right? And then the characters come in. I like to paint really, really thick black and white lines when I, when I do games, I don't like the, the at least as far as the, so players know what they're doing is good or bad. I mean, their players can be somewhat shady in the middle, but we are generally, when I have, bad guys like actual bad guys they are pretty bad and it's pretty clear and those things would be chaotic um most of the other bad guys are just kind of out for themselves and not good people but they're not necessarily chaotic they're more likely to be neutral as far as role playing through combat goes i don't want to speak for anybody else but for me for jason and i can only speak for me what i like to see is and this requires some trust between the gm and the players but I like to see the player in basically a sentence say what they're trying to do. And then they roll the dice, and then either the GM or the players will describe, role play out, the result of the dice. So I'm fighting a bandit, and I as the player say, okay, I'm going to try to strike the bandit with my sword. I roll the dice. Let's say I roll really well, and then I roll re really well for damage, and it kills the bandit. Then depending on our trust level in between us, you know, either the GM or the player would then describe, you know, we, we, we exchange a series of blows, the bandit overextends, and I, you know, my character steps aside and beheads him with a scimitar. Yeah, I, I feel like <laughs> that the role-playing combat, that's why I want to I hear from John. I would love for John to do a, an actual play, just, just one, whether it be an audio one or a, uh, a video one, so I can really get the idea. Because, you know, sometimes people are talking, <laughs> 
I know judges like this term, but sometimes people are talking past each other. You know, maybe we're saying pretty close to the same thing. I mean, I don't know, but to me, this is one reason why I like declaration of action and side initiative and phases because that works out exactly the same way that basically you described, Jason. Everybody goes around the table and they say, I'm going to stab the guy with my sword. I'm going to shoot my bow. I'm going to cast a spell, right? So they make that one quick statement and all the dice are rolled. And once they're rolled, you know, you narrate out what happens based on that. I mean, if it's just a simple hit, if the person has 20 hit points, you hit them for two hit points, you know, okay, I hit him with my sword. It doesn't have to be a long thing, but right in those moments where something significant happens, then the DM or the player uh, can narrate out a bit longer. Uh, for me, I'm not a big fan of people narrating out whole long expressive <laughs> things that their character's doing without rolling the dice first. That that to me is <laughs> is a recipe for having to do the whole thing again. But, you know, uh, whatever. And then I also think that what I did, what I described, as, as Joe uh, agreed, is role-playing where sometimes there'll be a moment in between, right? Like where somebody wants to take somebody captive or they're going to they're gonna retreat or they're going to call for a surrender or whatever. Like that interaction during combat, the speaking in voice is also role-playing. So I just, I'm not sure if it's, if, if, that's why I said, if, if it's describing every single thrust and swing of a sword and every single attack, that's not for me. Um, it might be for some people, but when there's a significant uh, thing that happens in combat, you know, sure. You can uh, have the player narrate it out or the, 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 the game master or referee, depending on the system, depending on trust, depending on exactly what's going on. Hey, Daniel, Jason here, pulling a Norton. Just want to say I agree with you on experience points. In fact, I'm gearing up to run a play-by-post space exploration game. Kind of, not. it's not going to be Star Trek, but kind of Star Trek-ish, if you will. And one of the things I did was search out a system that did encourage exploration over combat. So, yeah. As far as... Oh, wait, I have to do Norton. I have to listen to the next section, then call you back. Hold on. So I noticed here that Jason did not tell us what game he's running. So Jason, tell us what game, sci-fi game, gives is good for, uh, you know, getting people to explore. Because I would be curious about that. Um, is, is it Star Frontiers? Is it Star Frontiers? Ooh, maybe, maybe. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you're agreeing with me, so I agree with you. I think that... Um, there are definitely things we can do to house rule games that don't have exactly what we need. Like I know Todd from Hex Press adds a house rule that he gives out experience points per hex cleared or per room cleared in a dungeon. So that helps get people to explore more. Um, that can be really cool. I do like little story awards in my Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers if they discover something interesting or send the campaign in a slightly different direction or, you know, that like kind of just like a, aha, you get that thing that you didn't need to get to kind of finish the module, but you got it. So here's some extra XP for that, that kind of stuff. That crate sounds fun. I was never one into getting crates or subscribing to crates. Of course, that comes, I'm kind of old to do that kind of thing, I guess. It's funny you mentioned the roller rinks because, you know, I remember in high school, the roller rink was a big deal where I was, where I grew up. Um, in fact, my my first ex worked at a roller rink, and I remember picking her up there. So, yeah, that, that, that was the thing once upon a time. Um, I like coffee. Maybe, uh, may, maybe I'll have to check this coffee place out. I will check your show notes. And now, let me listen to the rest of your show. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Um, 
we had we also you know would go roller skating i, I was a little when i was younger um it was kind of a cool place to hang out right um before like the arcades i guess <laughs> then the arcades became the cool place to hang out but when i was a bit younger like junior high we did uh roller skating and then also we did ice skating so depending on where you wanted to go um you could do that so that was kind of the place where like kids could just like hang out right and kind of be away from the adult without necessarily being away from them so yeah pretty cool but uh yeah you know that as far as the coffee and everything i think it's really cool um these crates as far as i know anyways at least the one i did i don't think it's a subscription i don't think that's possible you just he has them every once in a while and you can just purchase it so i think that's pretty cool and he doesn't do that many so yeah i'm not a big crate person either i did um a couple of the crates like rpg crates for a while but what i generally found was that i was getting you know stuff that was probably worth more than what i was paying for the crate but then i didn't use a third or half of the stuff so it was like well if i only look at what i got that i'm going to use I didn't really save anything, you know, it's like, I'm going to spend this money anyways. I might as well just buy the things I want. So I kind of moved away from the crates in that sense, but at the same time, you know, small business, this guy's my friend. So I, I wanted to definitely support him and it was definitely worth it. Um, this is the second one that I got from actually the first one also had an adventure and it was real fun. They, they're kind of innovative adventures. The, uh, I won't tell you about this one, but uh, the other adventure, it basically came with a 20 cider and you either got, I think a black one or a red one. And then depending on how, which color die you had, when you use, you use different tables in the game. So like I got the, the crate and so did my friend Rush. And uh, he actually got a different color die than me. So if we, if we both ran the game, it would be different because, I mean, the, the general plot was the same, but like a lot of the things that happen, like the tables and stuff are different when you use a different color die. So I like little innovations like that. I think they're really fun. And I love coffee. So, <laughs> you know, can't lose there. So yeah, I would definitely, if you like coffee and you like to support, uh, RPG guys, and uh, yeah, definitely check him out. Uh, he's very, very uh, big nerd. Coffee is, uh, and he's also just a very nice guy. So, which also helps a lot. All right, then. Thank you to my callers. Thank you for listening. And uh, as usual, let me know what you think about uh, this topic or any other ones, and we will discuss it here. Until next time.